sometimes in life, we really wish we could get our own back on people. And let's be honest for a moment. The words of that last song are really quite interesting. Because in that song, we have words that remind us uh, about God's justice. Lighten our darkness, breathe on this flame until your justice burns brightly again. The idea that God will get them. Sometimes that's the only thing that keeps us going. Because you look out on this dark world and you can end up thinking, where on earth is it all going to end? I came across an article in the Huffington Post a while back. And uh, this is a, an incredible little story which I want to tell you about. Brent uh, Gearing was returning home after being out with his daughter, Emma, and he was carrying her in his arms. And uh, a guy across the road yells at him and says, What the? Make her walk. That's what's wrong with kids today. And rather than just seething silently, Brent decided he had a choice to make. Can I make myself feel better by screaming at him, or can I teach him something about life, he thought. So he got inches from the guy's face with his daughter in his arms, and he quietly asked him, are you referring to my daughter? The man said, yes. Listen to how this dad replied. My daughter's been carrying my faith and my strength for the past five years since she was diagnosed with a brain tumour. She can't walk, but I am happy to carry her because of all the amazing things she has taught me through the years. So, I would advise you not to address my daughter in any other way than respectful. And the backstory is that Emma was diagnosed with a rare brain tumour when she was just seven months old. It started behind her right eye and spread to the right side of her brain, and she was just about to undergo her seventh round of chemotherapy. Gearing remarked something which has stuck with me since I read it, and it was this. It finished with two grown men, tears rolling down their faces, one that needed to have his eyes opened to what real love is, and one to that it always needing a reminder that good can come from any situation. He said he shared his story not because he wants people's pity, but because he wants it to serve as a reminder not to judge others, because you don't always know the full story. Now, you can put yourself in that position, can't you? I, I know I can, because I've looked at people, I've looked at situations, and I have become judge, jury, and executioner in my own mind. And the truth is, I don't know the full circumstances. And I don't know about you, but in all honesty, there are times when I think that me trying to be judge and jury and everything else can really put me at odds with what God expects of me. Because God alone is revealed in Scripture as somebody who alone is qualified to judge because he's always just. And importantly, he knows absolutely everything. So I can make up my mind about you tonight, and you can make up your mind about me. But the truth is, you don't fully know me. But God does. 
and you can pass somebody in the street and make an immediate judgment about them and come to a judgment and a conclusion about them and decide in your own mind, but you need to be very careful because you don't know everything about them. Only God does. So tonight I want to look with you at God's justice. And uh, just to be clear here, justice in this sense isn't an external uh, system to which God tries to adhere. Justice here is that perfect part of God's nature. He is a holy God. He is a faithful God. He is infinitely righteous. And in and of himself, that is the case. And in all he does. So God's justice comes out of who he is. Moses put it uh, brilliantly in Deuteronomy uh, and uh, chapter 32. And we sang this at the start of the service. He's the rock. His works are perfect. All his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong. Upright. And they think we just sling this stuff together, you see. But that's why we sang it. Because this underlines the point of what God is like. He alone is perfect. All his ways are just because he alone is God. He alone understands everything. He does no wrong. He is upright and just in everything. A.W. Tozer, whose writings I really appreciate, puts it like this. Justice is not something God has. Justice is something that God is. So that's where we need to start. Justice is not something that God has. Justice is something that God is. In other words, I guess we say justice isn't a standard that God follows. He is the standard. He's not accountable to justice or the justice system because justice flows from him. It's part of who he is. So because of that, God always acts in a way that's consistent with the requirements of his character. So he is just, he is faithful, he is holy, and so on and so forth. And so he deals with everybody based on that and the fact that he knows everything. Everything. Every minutia. He knows everything about every single one of us sat here or listening to this online. Now the problem with all of this is that the idea of God's justice along with the related doctrine of God's wrath, isn't very politically correct in 2019, is it? Let's be honest about it. We'd rather hear about heaven while living as if hell isn't real. So God becomes an idol of our own making where we latch on to his love, focus on his forgiveness. There, there, God will take care of you. Everything will be fine. And we dismiss his holiness and his justice. Billy Graham, the great evangelist, once put it like this. Modern man doesn't like to think of God in terms of wrath and anger and judgment. He likes to make God according to his own ideas and give God characteristics that he wants him to possess. And yet if you go through the Bible, and I appreciate that this is a reason why many people have a problem with the Christian faith. You go through the Bible, you continually come across a God of justice. Again and again, it's there, Psalm 75. It is God who executes judgment. Psalm 97. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice 
are the foundation of his throne. Proverbs 29, many seek the face of a ruler, but it is from the Lord that a man gets justice. Isaiah 30, the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. Zephaniah chapter 3, the Lord within her is righteous. He does no injustice. Every morning he shows forth his justice. Each dawn he does not fail, but the unjust knows no shame. And Revelation chapter 60, this is just a selection. Yes, Lord God the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. That is so important. Little wonder that Abraham asked that question in Genesis chapter 18. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? You better believe it. God will. He will do right. He will ultimately bring all of this together. And you can go through life thinking that you've gotten away with stuff. And you can bemoan the fact as you look at the news and as you see the horrors that unfold in certain parts of the world, whether that's somebody walking into a synagogue and shooting somebody in America, or whether it's the tragedies that we see unfolding in places like Sri Lanka with terrorist activity, there will come a day, the Bible tells us, when every person will give an account. And God, who is the righteous judge, no one's going to get away with anything. He will judge the world. He must judge the world. And that means that he's going to judge you and me. And the judge of all the earth will do right. So in Hebrews chapter 9, we read it is appointed for men to die once. And after that comes judgment. I always wanted comes judgment. It's a bit like that, isn't it? But we, we've gone away from all of this. We've kind of forgotten all of this. And I hear a lot of Christians moaning and groaning about the state of the world and about terrible things that are happening. In that judgment, God's justice is going to come to the fore. And his justice requires that there's got to be a payment for what's gone wrong. For our sin. There's a debt to be paid because of that. So, if you want to come with me this evening, we're going to go on a bit of an exploration of Romans chapter 3. So, if you've got your Bibles, there's a Bible at the end of each pew, or maybe you've got a Bible app or whatever, why don't you open it up? Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 3 is a brilliant little chapter, and it describes our problem. The problem there in verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is the bottom line. That's the problem every human being has. Whether you are Hitler or Mark Owen. All right? So I'm trying to give you two ends of the spectrum, Brian, okay? But that's the reality. Everybody sins and falls short of the glory of God. Every one of us. Every one of us has sinned and fallen way short of God's standards. You, you may think you're pretty perfect. I'm here to tell you, you're not. According to the authority of God's word, you're not. Our shared story is that none of us, not one, can measure up to God's glory. I read a lovely little story the other day about a burglar in Belgium who was surprised when he was robbing a house and he heard the people coming home. And uh, he fled out the back door, jumped over a nine-foot wall, and dropped down on the other side, and found, him in, found himself inside the prison. <laughs> and I just thought it's a brilliant example, isn't it, of how you can't run away from God. 
And you can't run away from God's justice. He will get you in the end. You can fool people while you're here on earth. But I'm telling you now, he'll get you. And whoever you are, that's the case. Now look down at Romans chapter 3 with me, would you? And verses 24, in the first half of verse 25, they describe what God did for us by providing a solution for this problem. Remember, we have a problem. It is that we all fall short of the glory of God. We all sin. We all do stuff we shouldn't do. But there is a solution to all of this. And Paul starts to go into this in verses 24 and 25. All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. So that's the solution. The solution is very clear for our sinfulness. We are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God gives Jesus Christ as a sacrifice of atonement, the shedding of blood, and that is received by faith. Now the next section explains why. Why did God do this? Look at the second half of verses 25 and 26. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Now, I want you to look very closely at this little passage for a moment. The word demonstrate there, that literally in the Greek means pointing something out. It's like me pointing out Gina's lovely, lovely jumper. But in truth, sorry Gina, you've become an object lesson. In truth, this is God pointing at the cross. This is God pointing at the cross and he is saying, look, that's how I have demonstrated. There is proof of my justice and my mercy. And you notice, very carefully, it's said twice. That's important. Once in verse 25 and again in verse 26. God showed his righteousness in the past and he demonstrated in the present. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he'd left the sins committed before and unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. He's done it in the past, he's doing it now. There's this wonderful sense in Scripture that God has always been looking to the cross. He's been looking at the cross through the Old Testament to the coming of Jesus. He's been anticipating that event. Indeed, the Scripture says that Jesus Christ was crucified from the foundations of the earth. Because he's always had in mind the cross. And he's doing it now. And we've just done it now at Easter, haven't we? And we're doing it again tonight because we look back to the cross. Because that's where justice is done. God showed his righteousness. So important that we understand that. Why? Why is all of this important? Because there are at least two results that flow from him showing his righteousness. The first is this. His mercy mitigates sin. Look at verse 25 very closely in your Bible. Before God's wrath was fully unleashed on the cross of Jesus, 
God has held back his fury at what's going on in the world. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but actually as you read through the Old Testament, actually what we see is that God is so merciful. I mean, I, I know he, he deals with a few people when it comes to the flood, and you've got the vaporization of Sodom and Gomorrah, but it's clear as you read through the Old Testament, God chooses not to deal fully with their sinfulness. For centuries, God has been doing what the psalmist understood in Psalm 103, when he said, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. How gracious is that? How merciful is that? As you read through the Old Testament and everything going so wrong, God is holding back. But the thing is, God couldn't keep on postponing divine judgment because all that would serve to do is communicate that his glory and his righteousness are cheap and worthless. So Paul walks into Athens, do you remember Acts chapter 17? And he says to them, look, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now, he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He's given proof of this to everyone by raising that man from the dead. So, here's the message. God has been incredibly merciful. And he's always been looking to the cross. But now, now today, you and I can't just rely on God's mercy. We have to do something about it. We have to repent. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere, repent. A day is coming when the judge of the world will come with justice by an appointed man. He will come, that is Jesus, and he will judge the living and the dead. The second really important thing to see here is that if God's justice is key, it's important to understand that God's justice also is the thing that justifies sinners. Look at this in verse 26. Did you see this? It is amazing when you think about this. God who is just is also the one who justifies jerks like you and me. How? Through the substitutionary sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross. That's the key thing. God's righteousness demanded that his righteous wrath was poured out on Jesus as he hung there, full of our sin on the cross. And yet our righteous God accepted the sacrifice of his son as full payment for that sin. How awesome is that? Think about that for a moment. God knows what the problem is, but he brings a solution. God knows that we're scuppered. Stuffed, we've had it. And yet he provides a mechanism so that we can be released, be freed. That's the glory of the good news of the gospel. What God's justice demanded, Jesus provided. With his justice satisfied and his love unleashed, sinners like you and me are declared righteous when we put their faith in Jesus. Wow! Isn't that amazing? Yes, Mark, I think it possibly is. Well, I don't know about you, 
Because I look at my life and I deserve God's punishment. I deserve God's wrath. And the God who I feel guilty in front of is the very same God who said, hang on a minute, son. I know how to deal with this. And sends his only begotten son to die on a cross. To take my guilt, my sin, my shame upon himself. And to become a substitutionary atonement for all I've done wrong. And you may have a checkered past. You, you may well have done all kinds of things. You may be a goody two-shoes. God bless you if you are. But remember, every single one of us falls short. And yet there is a man in heaven tonight, and his name is Jesus, and God's justice demanded payment. And that man, Jesus, now bears in his body the marks of sacrifice, where he came and suffered and bled and died for you and for me. There was no other good enough to pay the price for sin. He only could unlock the gate of heaven. And let us in. Wow. Isn't Jesus good? I think this is amazing stuff. I really do. I think it's so important that we understand how this works. See, some people say that there's a, a, an unholy tension between a God of love and a God of justice. People want to cheapen the gospel today, so they want uh, Christianity to be all light and fluffy, and God loves you, and he knew what he was doing when he made you. He's got a perfect plan for your life, and everything in your garden can be rosy, and it'll be wonderful. Well, yes, but that's only part of the story. That's only part of the story, because our God is a holy God. A God who is righteous. A God who is, yes, full of love and grace and mercy. But a God who is holy. I don't believe there is a tension, actually, between God's love and God's justice. I think Jesus is the perfect fusion for divine love and divine justice. There's only a tension or a problem if your view of love requires that God forgive sin without any payment being made. So if you, like this morning, if you misunderstand who Jesus is, you'll miss the whole point. And that was the problem with Judas, you remember? He misunderstood who Jesus was. The offer of Jesus as our sin substitute Shows a greater love on God's path than uh, God's part uh, than simply releasing us from the consequences of sin without payment being made. To fulfill His justice, God's love was so great He gave His Son for us. God is righteous and loving, righteous and merciful, putting Jesus in our place. What's that other song say? We worship at Your feet, where wrath and mercy meet. And a guilty world is washed by love's pure stream. For us, he must made sin. Oh, help me take it in. Deep wounds of love cry out, Father, forgive, I worship the lamb who was slain. Do you get it? People set God up as this great tyrant in the sky who, you know, is going to have you. 
That's only part of the story. He's righteous, just, loving, merciful. The cross was at one and the same time the most horrible and the most beautiful of things. It was the most just and the most gracious act in human history with the concentrated load of sin that Jesus carried on the cross. God poured out his righteous wrath on Jesus, his son. And in that act, God's holy justice was completely satisfied. Oh, what a savior. What a savior. We understood that. We would fall in love with Jesus head over heels. When you think what he did, for you and for me upon that cross. I want you to note something incredibly important here as well. The plan is only activated in one's life. Now, all of this might sound quite good to you because you might be thinking now, well, flip me. I understand that he's a holy God and he's out to get me then because obviously he's holy and I'm not. I've mucked up and he's going to judge me and oh my gosh, what am I going to... Ah, hang on a minute. Now, he's told me about Jesus. So this Jesus died in my place. This Jesus took the punishment I deserve. Well, this is brilliant. Well, hang on a minute. You've got to bridge the two here because all of this only comes into being if you express faith. I want you to notice this very, very carefully. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith, Paul says. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness, verse 26, at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith. You can come to church as much as you like. You can hold an office in the church. You can be the pastor. But I'm telling you now, if you don't have faith in Jesus Christ, God's Son, as your personal Lord and Savior, gone. You can, you can be really generous. There's some £10 notes here. There are £20 notes. Praise God. Praise God. We'll buy you diddly squat when it comes to God and his acceptance of you. You may have uh, an interesting past. There may have been all sorts of things that you've got up to. I need to tell you on the authority of God's word, all of that's been dealt with in Jesus. And if you demonstrate faith in Jesus Christ, God will accept you because he accepts the debt that has been paid through his son's death upon the cross. Hallelujah. That is liberating, isn't it? That is something to revel in. That is something to bask in. That is something to rejoice in. We uh, use the word saved a lot in Christian circles. And we should, because it's a biblical word. I remember being at a Baptist assembly many years ago, and uh, we were talking about being saved. And somebody turned, another pastor turned around to me and he said this, saved from what? Another pastor. Wow. You ever wondered what you're saved from? Tell you what I've been saved from. Righteous judgment, hell, guilt. I've been saved. Hallelujah. 
I, I've been saved. God is righteous. He's the judge of the whole earth and he will do what is right because he is holy and righteous. And yet in his mercy, he says, Mark, you're stuffed. But I've done something so that all of this can be sorted. You have to believe on my son. And I, I implore you tonight. We can play at faith and churchianity and, and we, can, we can all enjoy each other's company and enjoy nice tea and coffee afterwards. Please don't get me wrong. That's lovely. But I want to see you in glory. I want to know that you are right with Jesus. I want you to know for yourself that God's not there with a big black ledger keeping score and saying, oh gosh, you've done something wrong again. If you have faith in Jesus, settle. Price is paid. Your debt is taken away. And you are made right with God through the shedding of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Reality is, some of you here tonight are ready perhaps to be saved. You really want Jesus to cancel your sin debt. You're ready to surrender yourself to his leadership. If you are, please, please, there's no better time than to do it tonight. Don't leave here without sorting that out with God. I heard a story a while back about an increasing number of cars being stolen in a particular area. It was getting really quite serious. Usual thing, you know, police weren't doing much about it. Shortage of staff, resources and stuff. What on earth was it? All of a sudden, headline news. Police were trying to track down this particular car. It had been stolen from a particular road, and they knew when it had been stolen. They described it, and they told everybody, all points bulletin, you've got to find this car immediately. It's very, very important. Why? Because the owner of the car had informed the police when he rang it up to say it had been stolen, that on the front seat was a box of biscuits that he had laced with deadly poison because he'd planned to use the food as rat bait. And suddenly the police were desperately trying to find the thief, not to punish him, but to save him, because they were worried sick that he might think, oh, biscuits, not only have I stolen a car, I've got McVitie's. Wow. In the same way, our just God pursues us, not because he wants to punish us, but because he wants to save us. That's what God is doing. You may be running away from him because like the car thief, you're well aware you've done something wrong. But what you may not realize is that God wants to convert you, not condemn you. Is that true for you tonight? Is that why you're here? Has God brought you to this point tonight because he needs you to understand he, he loves you. And you may well have in the back of your mind this idea that one day he'll get you, but in the meantime, you're going to try and get away with as much as you can. Hey, you can settle this tonight if you would come to faith 
in Jesus Christ. There's those lovely words in John chapter 3. And uh, we read these words because they're just beautiful. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Listen to Jesus in John chapter 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He doesn't come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. You ready to be saved tonight? I'm not playing games anymore. We're here to do business with God. And if you want to make sure that you don't come into judgment, I want to encourage you as we close the service to think seriously about surrendering yourself to him tonight. Would you just bow your head with me for a moment? God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Where do you stand tonight, friend? You, you may be good at playing church, but I want to ask you honestly, I want to, Speak to your heart tonight. Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Do you realize that a holy God will execute justice? You cannot get away with it. And yet, he loves you so much and is so merciful, he's provided a way out for you. All you need to do is believe on Jesus. I'm not going to ask you to sign up for a payment plan or take out a direct debit or anything like that. I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer in the quietness of your own heart. You don't even need to say it out loud. But if you tonight would want to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can pray a prayer. You can say these words after me quietly. Lord, I admit I'm a sinner and deserve your just judgment. I repent from how I've been living and turn to you. I believe Jesus died in my place on the cross and rose again on the third day. And now I receive him into my life. Please save me. I want to be born again, so I place all my trust in you and in you alone. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Did you pray that prayer? Did you whisper it in the privacy of your own heart and mind? I need to tell you this. I believe 
that when the Bible says those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved, it's telling the truth. And I believe if you prayed that prayer and honestly meant it, you've become a Christian. Every head bowed, every eye closed. It would really help me if you would have the courage. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, would you just raise your hand for me? Thank you. Bless you. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Please hear me. I don't know where you stood before tonight, but I honestly believe if you've prayed that tonight, you've, you are a Christian. You've come into God's family. And church, I rejoice in that. You know, as we finish, I really feel with Pastor Tim that it is a season for us to get serious about the gospel again. We can't be closet universalists thinking that everybody except the really, really bad will end up in heaven. You know, we've got a message that saves. And Romans 10 says, how then will they call on him whom they've not believed? How will they believe in him of whom they've never heard? How will they hear without someone preaching? How will they preach unless they are sent? And I just want to remind you again as we finish this evening of that training opportunity there is for you and for me to take seriously our faith and of sharing it with other people.